You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. Well, I want to welcome you back today to Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. We are in a series right now going through the pastoral epistles, and we are going to begin 1 Timothy chapter 2 today, and I'm glad to have back with me today my good friend, Keith Harris. Keith, good to have you with us again. It's good to be with you. Looking forward to our conversation today. Absolutely. Well, we're going to begin, like I said, 1 Timothy chapter 2 First uh, Timothy chapter 1 is more just the introductory material, kind of the way that someone would begin a letter. First Timothy chapter 2 gets into a little bit more teaching concerning ministry and the church. And in my Bible, Keith, the subtitle above chapter 2 says, Instructions on Worship. And so it appears as if Paul has in mind what needs to take place when the corporate church gathers together in their weekly assemblies. And we're going to cover just the first seven verses today, and I'll go ahead and get started by reading those for us, and then Keith and I will uh, walk our way through it with some questions. First Timothy chapter 2, beginning verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. All right, Keith. Well, uh, Paul begins this chapter by telling this young preacher that he wants the corporate gathered church, to be a praying people. And he says specifically, I want prayers to be made for those who are in authority, for kings, and really for uh, everyone. First question today, Keith, why does Paul want Christians to pray for those who are in political authority? Well, it seems like to me that the um, the primary focus of uh, 
Paul's wanting Timothy to make sure that he shares with uh, the Christians the importance of praying for kings and those in authority is just simply for the fact that um, you're wanting God to direct their path or their steps. And the goal of the prayer for those individuals, number one, is that God would bless them or be with them. And that I think for us, we often pray that God would uh, help our leaders of our country to make wise decisions uh, about uh, the direction of our country and, and what it stands for. But I think also that we pray for them to look to God for their guidance. Uh, and so it may very well be that even though our citizenship is in heaven, um, it, it, it helps um, to have God on our side with respect to governmental authorities. And I think especially in the time in which Paul is writing to Timothy, where there was a lot of persecution going on, um, simply, uh, you know, in, inserting God in the in the mix of that interaction that they would have had between themselves and, and the, the officials or the governing body. Um, I think for them, maybe it brings peace to the Christian knowing that they are calling upon the Almighty God to intervene on on behalf of this individual who is leading their nation, as it were. So um, it seems to me that, that that may be one of the primary reasons is just simply to acknowledge our need for God in all areas of life. Which would obviously include, but not be limited to, the... Uh, political scene, Main Street of any country, but for our context today, Main Street of America. Um, Keith, you know as well as I do, and many people listening to this, there's been a difference of opinion over the years among Christians about how involved Christians should be in government, in running in the political system, even um, serving in the military, going back to the days of David Lipscomb, who believed uh, you know, that Christians should basically be pacifists, not serve in the military. And David Lipscomb also believed, to my understanding, uh, Christians should not vote, and therefore Christians should not hold public office. Um, what do you think about that, Keith? We're getting a little bit out of order in our questions, but I'll just jump down to that that fourth question I have for us today, and we'll come back to questions two and three in a minute, but it seems like a natural segue do you think christians should be involved in the political process i think we have a responsibility to um to live in a way that's appropriate for um, our citizenship here on this earth realizing that this is not our home not our eternal home uh, and so I do think there is a responsibility that we all have as citizens of this country to um, let our voice be heard. Now, um, some have have taken that to an extreme, uh, and we see that all around us at various times where uh, political activism seems to be uh, the mode of operating for some Christians. And, and the truth is, Jesus did not call us to be political activists. Um, he called us to live in such a way that we are bringing honor and glory to God. And so sometimes that means 
speaking up or standing up for uh, what God has uh, revealed and preserved for us in his word. Um, but we shouldn't stand up out of our zeal for God and his word in such a way that would push people away from God or away from Christ. Um, so our life should be lived, uh, whether it's uh, apart from the political arena or within the political arena, our life should be lived seeking to bring honor and glory to God in all things. Uh, and I know that's kind of a roundabout answer, and, and I didn't answer it specifically, but I do think it's up to an individual, certainly if they believe that it's uh, it's wrong for them to participate, then uh, them doing so would violate their conscience, and I think there would be a, an issue there. Um but to the degree that we can operate from a posture of love and care uh, and a desire to bring honor and glory to God, I, I believe we have a responsibility to do that. Yeah, those are some interesting thoughts. I do think it's interesting to note that as Jesus calls the original apostles, he obviously gets not only a variety of personalities, but a variety of professions. Uh Peter and James and John, they were not uh, your quote-unquote white-collar Main Street workers. They were uh, more in the physical workforce of Galilee. But then you have men like Simon the Zealot. Well, what was he zealous about? He was very much involved in political affairs. So uh, Matthew the tax collector also involved in political affairs to a certain extent, not holding public office, but working for the government. So... um, Yeah, I like your answer that whatever we do, we need to bring glory to God. I do think there is a biblical precedent in the New Testament that uh, Christianity is something that is lived out everywhere. Uh, Think of Ephesians 5, where Paul tells us to make the most of every opportunity. And I would think in some instances that would mean Christians holding public office, that if there is a way to have a Christian influence or point um, people to the Lord in a more public way, then that avenue, avenue needs to at least be investigated, if not uh, pursued affirmatively. So I, I can't side with the David Lipscomb mindset of we should not be involved at all. I do think you make a good point. We have to be people of balance and remember that ultimately our citizenship is not here in America, but in heaven. Uh, But I do think that wherever God's people are, regardless of what country they call home, they need to do their part to make it as much of a a godly nation as possible. Would you add anything to that or challenge that in any way? Yeah, no, I would would agree with what you uh, have said. I I do, again, think that we do have a responsibility to to, uh, proclaim you know, God and, and uh, the gospel. And in whatever way we can do that, I think we ought to do that. Um, one, one word of caution that I would uh, give is just the simple fact that um, it's very easy uh, in those uh, moments, uh, especially in the, in the political arena and in the public eye, uh, for people to... Uh, begin exalting themselves, and and so that temptation we have to remember is always there, 
uh, and and we must keep that mindset that says uh, not my will but God's will uh, and and not me but God be exalted and glorified uh, and so I would you know I, I would just say that we need to bear that in mind in, in every aspect of life but um, in those in those uh, public arenas, uh, you know, I've seen it too many times where uh, an individual, you know, uh, becomes you know puffed up because of their newfound position. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think it's important for us to remember uh, that we're called to be humble as Jesus was. Yeah, that's well said. And I think, as you indicated, that's true, not just for politics, but in the world of finance, it's real easy for Christians to puff themselves up if they've developed a great portfolio and have amassed some worldly wealth thinking too highly of themselves and their ability to do that. Uh, Same way with education, that they become this educational elite status, um, smarter than anyone else that they spend their time around, more educated, uh, more wise. So yes, regardless of what sector of life we are in or what we call our profession, we have to check our ego and uh, make sure that God is the one being glorified, not us. But regardless of uh, if we side with Lipscomb of let's completely withdraw or I guess mainly what I'm advocating for, and I think I hear it in your voice as well too, but certainly what I would advocate for, we need more Christians in government and political office. Um, one thing we know for sure is that we're supposed to be praying for those who are in authority. So is there a difference then between prayers and intercession and thanksgiving when Paul uses those terms there in verse 1? Yeah, I've often found this particular portion of his writing to be very interesting because it seems as though he's saying the exact same thing, only using slightly different words mm-hmm. um you know he starts out and talks about supplications and then prayers and then intercessions and thanksgiving and it seems like those are all the same thing um but it's interesting when you begin to look at the background behind each of those words um when he uh, says the word supplications really that's um a word that's uh shows a that there's this clear sense of need uh, that if I'm offering up a supplication to God, uh, I'm saying, God, I need you in this situation. Now, the word that uh, is translated for us as prayers, uh, that is really just the more general word for prayer. Uh, And so he, you know, he begins with this word that indicates that we're speaking to God from the sense of need. And then he, he says prayers, which would just simply be um, a conversation with God, speaking to God. Uh, and then intercessions is the word. And this is uh, kind of where it gets a little interesting for me is that the word intercession is used primarily to reference petitioning a superior. Uh, and so when you think about petitioning a superior, especially with connection to supplications and prayers, um, we're petitioning God who is, uh, you know, above all else. Uh, and so there's this progression that seems to go through in his words, uh, which those first three supplications, prayers, intercessions deal with the same, um, 
you know, reality or understanding that we're speaking to God and, and, uh, and there are requests being made of God. Uh, but then he brings in thanksgiving. And so this, again, is a, a slightly different word, different meaning, given the fact that what we're doing is saying, God, I need you, having that conversation with God, realizing that God is our superior, and then ultimately saying, thank you. Thank you, God, for all of the things that you've done. And so while these all seem very similar, I think there's nuances of these words that help us to see that, that he's, he's saying this in a very specific and deliberate way. And I, and I think Timothy would have picked up on that. Uh, sometimes we just read over it because it's very familiar to us. But I think Timothy would have picked up on exactly what Paul was saying. That's interesting because I... Um... I look at it a little bit differently, but you're probably right because you're smarter than I am. Um, but uh, part of me feels like he may just be grabbing some prayer language in the way that we, we sometimes grab forgiveness language. You know, we use the words grace, mercy, sanctification, justification uh, interchangeably. And when we use those words, we know that though they have a few minor differences here and there. Like there's a difference a little bit in the meaning between the word justified and sanctified. Justified is more along the lines of as if it never happened, while sanctified is more along the lines of it did happen, but you're forgiven anyway. Um, There's still words of forgiveness and mercy and clean slate. I want to believe it's the, the same is true for this because, as you pointed out, he throws that word thanksgiving in there. And I have a hard time believing that Paul is telling Timothy to give thanks for the man who's in power while Paul writes this, because that would have been Nero. Um, Nero's burning Christians, killing Christians. And I don't think Paul is expecting Timothy, when they gather on Sunday at the church in Ephesus, to publicly thank God for Nero. Um. I think Paul is asking Timothy to pray for Nero, that maybe his heart would be changed, um, that he would make better decisions. But in today's world, I don't know any Christian who can thank God for Vladimir Putin and what he's done to Ukraine. Or, you know, our grandparents and great-grandparents' generations, Keith, what Christian would have thanked God for Adolf Hitler, for murdering millions of people in the 1940s. Um, But we can pray for their hearts to be changed and pray that they would be open to God's will and God's working uh, in their life. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I I see what you're saying there. And I would would tend to agree that certainly God is not asking us to be thankful for uh, those people that uh, commit, you know, evil atrocities, and certainly, as you, were, you know, so wisely pointed out, Nero, uh, in the day of Paul and Timothy, when Paul is writing to Timothy, that, um, you know, um, brutal, a brutal man, and and certainly, um, God wouldn't be calling, and Paul wouldn't be asking Timothy to, to give thanks for him, uh, Nero specifically, um, but it. Again, and, I, and I, I see what you're saying, too, about uh, this being the language of prayer. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I do like the, you know, just the subtleties between 
the words, um, our need for God, our, our, our conversation with God, our um, making requests of uh, our superior God. Um, you know, that, that, kind of, uh, that kind of heart that understands God is ultimately in control and it's to him that I am speaking and lifting up these requests. I think, you know, Paul is, as you said, Paul is urging Timothy just to understand the importance of what what we do when we come together. Ultimately, we see that in the rest of the context. Um, and and so when uh, when he connects this Thanksgiving be made for all people, um, you know, that, that brings up that question, well, isn't Nero a person? And would, would he not be included in all people? Some would say yes, but others would say, well, I'm not so sure about that. And then that next verse, um, for kings and all who are in high position. Um, and you kind of, you kind of wonder about, you know, what it is that Paul is urging or exhorting Timothy to pray concerning those individuals. Um, and I, I, again, I think it's probably like what we pray today or similar to what we pray today, that they would be blessed, that God would guide them, that they would seek God's counsel, and that they would make those decisions that would be in keeping with the will of God. But we understand that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Many, times, many times it's not. But our prayer is that it will be the case. Um, so I, I, I appreciate you know, your thought on that, because um, you're, you're exactly right, that there are uh, people in authority in high places that I'm not so sure that God would uh, call us to be thankful for. Yeah, and compare that to what Jesus said. Jesus said, you know, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Even Jesus, when he says that during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does not say, while you're praying for your enemies, thank God for your enemies. He simply says, pray for them. Um, the expectation to be thankful for them is, I think, a little unwarranted and, and unrealistic. Um, Keith, Paul seems to indicate here that one of the reasons God wants us to do this, um, one of the reasons it pleases God is because God wants us to be people who live in peace and live quiet lives. How is prayer connected to a peaceful and a quiet life? Well, that's a bit of a challenge, especially because it's a difficult question is what I mean, because there are obviously times where we pour our hearts out to God. And we see it all through the Psalms where uh, some kind of trial, hardship, um, very challenging circumstances going on in the life of an individual and and it doesn't seem as though there's peace in their life and i think the challenging part for me is to when i read through the scriptures is to have my eyes open to the reality that even in passages like the psalms where we see someone like david who is distraught and his enemies are on every side he's calling out to god wondering what god is doing what you know, how long will how long will you not heed my voice how long will you not listen to me or abandon me have you have you abandoned me those questions that come up that seem to be from uh the life of one who uh, 
is not experiencing peace in the least. Um, I have to have my eyes open to the conclusion of those psalm prayers to God where most often, not all of the time, but most of the time we see those statements that say, but you are God, you are my fortress, I will praise you, I will trust in you because of your steadfast love and faithfulness. I think even in those moments where we're facing those hard times where it seems as though peace has abandoned us, when we pray to God, when we acknowledge who he is and his power, then that does create within us a sense of peace, even though our life may be spinning out of control, just the simple conversation with God and acknowledging who he is and his power brings a sense of peace. And more times than not, as we pray to God, uh, following that prayer, we do feel that sense of peace. Uh, again, um, it, it's different for different people. I understand that I, I, I've just experienced that to be the case. And in those moments of trial, and I pray to God, even though I'm, I may be, you know, wondering what God is doing and, and, and not understanding at all uh, what His plan is for me in that situation. I, I still come away with an understanding that He's in control, even when I don't understand, and that brings me peace. Yeah, that's perfectly said. And you know, if you're spending a lot of time in prayer. Um, Prayer is obviously more of a personal, individual thing. You don't have as much time to be loud and and uh, boisterous and in the public eye. And you know, the the early church never considered themselves to have much political or even social influence. They realized they were a close knit group, and uh, being part of their group sometimes was a death sentence, especially during the days of Paul and Timothy. So they had to be quiet, but um, in their silence. From a public perspective, they were doing some incredible things behind the scenes um, by connecting with divine assistance and divine help. Last question for today. Um, Verse 4, Paul also says, one of the reasons you need to be people of prayer is because God wants all men to be saved, and he wants them to come to a knowledge of the truth. Obviously, People come to a knowledge of the truth, Keith, through what you and I both do on Sundays, the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Romans ten seventeen tells us that's where faith comes from, is from hearing the Word of God. But Paul seems to indicate here as well that these prayers of Christians for leaders can also lead to salvation and people coming to a knowledge of the truth. What's the connection there, Keith, between prayer and people's salvation? Well, um, that's a, a, another good question. And, and looking at the overall context of this passage where Paul is calling on Timothy to um, engage in this, um, this act of worship where you know prayer is being offered up to God on behalf of various people, and then connected to then that quiet and peaceable life there there's the reality that if we are um, if we are not living that 
peaceable, quiet life, then there's going to be a lot more challenges in our way, a lot more hurdles that we'll have to cross, and a lot more barriers that people will face uh, coming to faith. So, uh, for example, if, if I am opposed to some uh, political view, uh, and I go out and and, uh, and and I bring dishonor to God through uh, through my political activism, whatever it may be. Um, but if I do so in a way that is not pleasing to God, is not honoring God or glorifying God, then certainly people would look at me and say, "Well, you're supposed to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, your you know your actions don't show what you profess in your faith." Well, that would put up that barrier, that hindrance to someone becoming a follower of Jesus. Now, the very the opposite is very much true, and, and Peter talks about this more so uh, than Paul does here, but I often think of what Peter wrote when I read this statement here, because I think it has to do with the kind of life that we live. And so when Peter talks about uh, suffering and the hardships that we face, He's doing so from the perspective of those that are outside of the faith. Uh, when we are persecuted, when people say evil things against us, what's our call? Not to stand up and 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 to uh, uh, to be activists in the sense of well, we're going to prove you wrong and and show um, you know show God in a way that's not a loving way to the people around us. Um, Peter says. You need to live the kind of life where when people look at your life and they see the things that you're experiencing, the hardships that you're facing, the suffering or whatever it may be, that it's it's not a, a, a place for them then to be able to take and accuse you or, um, or blame you or put you to shame. But rather, you need to live the kind of life where people are going to be drawn to God and say, well, how is it that when you're going through that particular hardship, let's let's say uh, some kind of illness for that matter, let's say cancer, for instance, and, and you're facing the, the challenge of cancer, but you're doing so uh, with a pure heart and uh, a, a continued thanksgiving to God for all of his blessings and that certain attitude. When people see that, they're going to wonder, how is it that you can still live that way? Or when a co-worker might, um, you know, Talk, uh, you know, talk to us in a way that's that's not appropriate. You know, a way that puts us down or is a, you know demeaning in front of other people that we're with. Um, but we handle that with grace uh, and with patience. People will, will say, "How is it that you can do that?" Okay. Now that's a long way around to get to the point of prayer. I think here he's talking about the life we live, the example that we set, our interactions with other people. And so part of that living a, a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, um, it's pleasing in the sight of God. And God desires all people to be saved, he says in verse 4, and come to a knowledge of the truth. When we live that kind of life, when we're praying to God and we're acknowledging that God is all-powerful and that that he's in control, and that's our attitude, that prayerful spirit that's peaceful and gentle and godly, then people will take note and they'll be drawn closer to God. Um, but then on the flip side of that, it could very well mean that he is talking specifically to the individuals who are doing the praying. 
Um, and, and again, our life has to be lived in, in uh, accordance with the will of God. And so if we're not a praying people, uh, if we're not acknowledging God in all aspects of life, then chances are we're going to be a people who are acknowledging our own strengths, our own abilities. And, and certainly that's not the kind of life God has called us to live. Um, and so I think there's a couple of different ways of looking at this. But I would say primarily from the sense of us reaching out to the lost, um, this peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified that we're called to live, that life is attractive to the people around us, especially in the face of hardship. Those are good good thoughts, Keith. Good answer. Um, just a basic answer in, in my mind from my perspective. I think this phrase that God wants all people to be saved and come to knowledge of a truth may not be directly connected to the prayer as much as it is just a reminder that God is not a respecter of persons. God does not show favoritism, and in the same way God wants you to pray for your fellow believers, God wants you to pray for those who may not believe what you believe but hold power over you in the sense of an earthly power. Uh, pray for them too. Uh, don't don't cherry-pick who you pray for. Going back to that statement of Jesus, even pray for your enemies. Uh, not necessarily be thankful for them, but, but pray for them uh, because God wants all men to be saved and to come to the truth. And as you pointed out Peter's statement, I think of another statement of Peter, 2 Peter 3, 9, God's not willing for anyone to perish. People will perish, but that's not God's desire. He, he wants all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. Unfortunately, um, that won't happen, but that is, that is his heart's desire. Keith, I really thank you for your time today, and thank you uh, to those who have listened to us. We have had some technology challenges today so if it's not as clear of a recording as it usually is we apologize for that we hope to get that fixed by next episode but we at least wanted to try and get this third episode in this series of the pastoral epistles on the podcast i know keith has some traveling he's going to be doing in the next couple of weeks so we wanted to go ahead and get a little bit of this out there as always i want to remind you to keep your eyes on heaven and if we can ever do anything for you here at road talk please let us know how we can serve you and how we can point you to jesus have a great day and we look forward to talking with you next time